now the word of God. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs, their bodies are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as other men are, they are not stricken like other men. Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment, their eyes swell out with fatness, their hearts overflow with follies, they scoff and speak with malice, loftily they threaten oppression, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them, and they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have been untrue to the generation of thy children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Truly thou dost set them in slippery places, thou dost make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. On awaking, you despise their phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was stupid and arrogant. I was like a beast toward these, toward thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou dost hold my right hand, thou dost guide me with thy counsel, and afterward thou wilt receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, those who are far from thee shall perish. Thou puttest end to those who are false to thee. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all thy works. And if you will turn to the Gospel according to St. Luke, reading from the 15th chapter, beginning with the 11th verse, these words. <coughs> and he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself with one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But one of this son of yours came who has devoured your living with harlots. You killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Let us bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your inspired word. We thank you that you have preserved it for us down through the ages, that we may come this morning and read the words that you would have us hear. Open our hearts and our minds to receive these words and their meaning, that you would write them on our hearts. Grant our Father that we might carry them forth into the world as a witness to you in a land of darkness. We would ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I have kept a journal over the most of the years of my ministry, kind of a day-by-day sort of journal of the things that have happened, things that I have done. Recently I was looking up some things, and several items jumped off the pages of those journals to me that seem to speak to a situation that continues to exist, even though these events had occurred some time ago. Let me bring to you those things that I gleaned in those moments. Item. A close friend of many years, my old age, left his wife of many years, moved in with a young girl that he met at work. Sometime later, she threw him out. He's an old and bald-headed man that's no longer interested in her. Item. Two young people from Christian homes decided to live in sin, one after a nasty divorce. It was not to last. Item. I was called to a local hangout frequented by our young people. There I found a 15-year-old boy from my congregation, unconscious from alcohol and and drugs. After a wild trip to the hospital, frantic hours of treatment, his life was saved. Whether his injuries would be permanent are yet to be. Item. 
A 17-year-old from our congregation went to a party with his peers. They all got drunk. He crashed his car at high speed on the way home. Spent months in treatment and perhaps never fully recovered. All of these, young and the old, made the same mistakes. They each had a wrong view of life. There are two wrong views of life that are wound up in this psalm and in the side play of the parable of the prodigal son. It's not a new problem. We can trace it back at least as far as the psalmist, and I'm sure if you wish to probe much, much farther than that. The psalmist almost fell. The prodigal did, as did his older brother. This morning I would like us to look at these two wrong views of life. I'd like us to understand them, and perhaps in doing so, avoid falling into the traps. These were not confined to the time of the psalmist nor to the time of the prodigal. They were not confined to the church that I happened to be serving at that time nor to that community. They're in this church, this community, this age, this nation. They have not changed. And this morning I would have us take a look at those and see what these two wrong views of life may be. We might discover that we hold maybe one or both of these and be tempted to fall into the same traps. The parable of the prodigal son, you all know this, I'm sure, by heart. The younger son begins to look out into the world and he sees all the young people his own age out there having a ball. They're not tied up on the farm. They're not stuck taking care of the livestock. They aren't stuck having to serve their dad, who seems not to understand at all what's going on in the world with all of the young people and all of the things that are going around. So he decides there must be a way for him to join that happy throng of people that he sees out there. So he goes to his father, and he says, in effect, if we may paraphrase, Dad, I'm going to inherit all of this stuff anyway one of these days. So why don't you just give it to me now? Then I can use it and I can go forth and I can do all of these things. I can have a good time like everybody else is having. And if Dad, I'm sure with some reluctance, acquiesces to that request and shares with him his inheritance, and not long after we read, the young lad goes forth to another country land, another area. And there he has the good time that he's dreamed of. He has stood in the background now for all of these years. He watched all his friends, and now it is his turn. Says that he wasted all of his money. We can envision him in that far country, chasing after the Philippian girls, drinking barley beer, hot riding up and down the streets on his camel, having a great time for himself. And after all, is what life is about. That's what he wanted, and that's where, the, that's where the action is. He's convinced, I'm sure, at this point, 
dad certainly was stupid all of those years. I don't want him to be involved in all of those things. Then comes a reckoning. Things get tough. His money is gone. He discovers when his money is gone that his friends are gone as well. And he has nothing. So he gets a job feeding pigs. And that becomes then the final act for him as he has gone forth into the world to enjoy the wonders of a great life. Finally makes his way back to his father and there's forgiveness and all of those things. The psalmist, many years ago, says the same thing. Truly God is good to the upright and to those of pure heart. The psalmist is looking around out into the world and he begins to raise some questions. He says, as for me, my feet almost stumbled and my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He looked out into the world and he said, they're the people who are really living. They've got it made. Things go well for them. He describes that they have no pangs. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They're not troubled. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven and their tongues stretch through the world, through the earth. A good description of what we see for those who disobey God and decide that this is the kind of life. That evil is really where it is at. That obeying God and doing the things that are right really are ridiculous and no one ought to do them. Both the psalmist and the younger son decided that evil was fun. The disobedience is where the action was, and they wanted a part of it. They had determined, both the psalmist and the younger son, that the disobedience had no consequences. The psalmist said, just look around. They get fat, get prosperous, nothing happens. And they say in the end, how does God know? And what's he going to do about it if he does? So there are no consequences. There's no reason for us to obey God. There are no consequences to doing evil. They say to themselves, it's my business. As long as it doesn't bother anybody else, it shouldn't be any of your business either. Besides, they say everyone does it. The psalmist thought too. Not only does everyone do it, people admire them. People uphold them in it. Everyone looks at them and says, real cool cats. Really doing the job out there. There are no consequences. And all of this business about God and obeying God, how does God know? If he does, what does he care? What's he going to do about it? So said a psalmist. So thought a younger son. We move to the year 2000, and we discover it is still a popular view. Evil disobedience to God is represented as fun. 
good time. The strange thing is it affects not only our young people in high school, college, early years, but middle-aged and the elderly as well. Much of the world seems to have adopted this idea that disobedience and that evil is the way to live. It represents itself that way. It represents itself as fun. It represents itself as something that is good for us. Not a new thought goes back to the garden. Remember Eve? Did God say you should not partake in the fruit? Asked the devil. Yep, that's what he said. You won't die, he said. What will really happen if you disobey God? What will really happen if you take advantage of this? You will become like God. Good things are in store for you if you disobey God. That's what the world says today. Evil is fun. Disobedience is the place to have We hear the voices of our peer groups. We hear the media. We hear all of the things around us. Perhaps even in our own families. Whispering those false truths in our ear. Smoke a little pot. Water too. Snort a little cocaine. See how wonderful it is to be on high. Have a few beers. Get drunk a time or two. Everybody does it. Or two. Join the crowd. That's where the action is. Want to sleep with your lover? Go ahead. Here's your business. Do what you want to do. There are no consequences, you see. Nothing is going to happen. Look around you, see it every day. Nothing has happened. God's not zapping all of these people. Go ahead and do it. It's wide open. Have fun. That's what life is about. Life must be only fun. There must not be any discipline like working on the farm, owning a job, doing the things that God would have us do in both our moral and religious life. That doesn't do anything for us. There's nothing to be found there. Do what you want to do. Life is made for fun. The more fun we have, the greater life comes. And God isn't going to do anything about it. He's got other things to do besides worrying whether I snort a little cocaine, smoke a little pot, drink a little booze, or shack up with the girl that I'm going with at the present time. Go ahead and do it. Evil has no consequences. Then comes some biblical truth. Then as life goes on, things begin to come to the fore that had not been mentioned by evil, that had not been brought to the fore by those who had engaged in it. It comes as a rude shock and a rude awakening as biblical truth begins to reveal itself. One of those is simply this. Evil always has consequences. Always has consequences. Maybe not a cause and effect. Maybe you 
I'll do something today and God zaps you this afternoon. As the psalmist discovered, God does retaliate. God does demand a reckoning. The psalmist says he's in a slippery place. The phrase we use today about people that they're living on a slippery slope. They will slide and they will fall. There are consequences. If you don't believe it, ask the young lad that I took to a hospital with drug overdose. If you don't believe it, ask others that I've talked to whose addictions to drug and alcohol have destroyed their families, their wives, their children, their jobs. Ask those who are dying of AIDS, sexually related diseases. Ask those who are disobeying God lives are falling apart, who find no real happiness, who do not know which way to turn. Evil always has consequences in spite of what the world would have us believe. Another truth that begins to reveal itself to us when we begin to probe into this and to see it for what it is, is that disobedience of evil always presents itself as being fun and harmless. Eve in the garden. And so it is for us. It won't hurt you. Go ahead and do it. It's going to be fun. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to help you. You really have not lived the fullness of life until you have done these things. I don't pretend to be a scholar. But you know, I think I would have to be utterly tempted to do something that I know was going to hurt me. See, if, if I knew all temptation was going to hurt me, I wouldn't be tempted to do it. The fact is, a sly old devil presents all of these things as being good, as being fun. It's going to help you get ahead in the world. The fact is, God does know. And God does eventually act. Listen to the psalmist. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God that then I perceived therein. Truly thou dost set them in slippery places, thou dost make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. They're like a dream. One awakes awakening despise how often I have heard that how often we have seen that and we'll see it again then we turn this coin over we come back to the parable of the prodigal son we come back to the psalmist once we discovered that there's another view of life that's on the opposite side of that coin, sometimes held together. That is the idea that godly living and obedience to God carries no reward, has no value, does nothing whatever for us. It's really ridiculous to try to be good and obedient in the age 
road is no fun, the psalmist. All in vain have I kept my hands clean. Everybody else is having a good time. I'm towing the mark. I'm obeying God. And what am I getting for it? Nothing. Why do I bother? Why should I bother? Being good and obedient doesn't do anything. An elder son came back in. What's going on? Your brother has come home. We're having a party. We killed the fatted calf. Big deal. He goes off. Wastes his inheritance with harlots. Lives the life. Comes back. You kill a fatted calf. Give him a party. What have you done for me? I've never disobeyed you, Dad. I've obeyed your commandments every time. I worked on the farm. I've obeyed you. I've done all of these things. You never did anything for me. Doesn't do any good to be good. Doesn't accomplish anything. The idea is that there are no consequences and no rewards for being good or obeying God. The rap is that being good and obedient is too hard. Demands that we sacrifice fun. Demands that we sacrifice all kinds of things and there are no rewards. Demands that it's far too hard for us to discipline ourselves. So we compare it what it takes to be evil. What it costs to steal from your families, to support your drug habits, to live in fear of death, of diseases, to understand that there is no hope, no future, and no eternity for those who reject God. They say, the good only suffers better I am, more people take advantage of me. I'm cheated. It doesn't do me any good. That's what the psalmist thought. Boy, my feet had almost slipped. The steps had slipped. I was envious. Almost, he said. I came to that view. The elder son had. This is still popular. This is what we hear. This is what our kids hear in peer group, group uh, sessions. This is what we read and hear and see in the media all around us. Good is no fun. Obeying God is not where the action is. I haven't seen a television program in I don't know how long that upholds any kind of moral, ethical behavior that has its own rewards. not part of our culture. It's not part of the schools, it's not part of colleges, it's not part of our whole system of living in today's world. God indeed, good indeed, we are told, simply gets cheated, has no purpose, has no meaning. It's still popular. Good and obedience is resented by the world, as a matter of fact. They don't like it when we will not join them in those activities. Perhaps we make them feel guilty, I don't know. They resent it and they resent us, and it's the very pressure that comes to our young people that they will not be accepted, that they will be rejected, because they're going to stand for what they believe. We stop and think, of course that's true. Jesus.
Jesus was not crucified for being bad. He was crucified for being good, for obeying his Father. So what is the biblical truth that begins to arise out of this view of life? Indeed, good is hard. No question. It's difficult to obey God. It's difficult to watch the world seemingly have a marvelous time without consequences while I'm working and struggling and trying to obey God. But doing evil is infinitely harder in the long run than doing obedience and good. It's a myth that good is restricted. That if I obey God and if I do the things God wants, I'm going to lose out on all of the things that I want to do. And like the man who said after he became a Christian, life was different. Everything now since I've been a Christian is either illegal, immoral, or intoxicating. Not true. The Christian life and the obedience to God lifts the restrictions of life. It lifts the restrictions of our humanity. It lifts the restrictions of our knowledge, of our spirit. We are free to soar as eagles. We are free to serve God. We are free to see the world. We are free to do the things of God. And we discover that walking with God and obeying God is both fun and exciting. It's exciting to find day by day the plan that God has for our life. It is exciting. It's inspiring to be able to see not only what God has done, but to find that God has given us the strength to live and to do the things that he would have us do. We discover that ultimately good and obedience has more consequences than the bad consequences of evil. What did the psalmist say? And in the end, those who are far from thee shall perish. Thou dost put an end to those who are false to thee. For to me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all his works. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. See, there's more than just this life. There's more than the fleeting pleasures of the moment. There's more than the high that comes from a snort of cocaine or smoking a joint. There's more to life than the buzz we're going to get out of a few beers. There's more to life and interpersonal relationships than simply jumping in bed with one another whenever the urge should strike. Good has greater consequences as ultimate and eternal consequences for each and every one of us. Both the psalmist and the younger son made mistakes about life. They had a wrong view of life, perhaps held both wrong views. Both came to their senses, finally, in time, and found that it was not too late to be forgiven, not too late to start over. We don't know if the elder brother ever did. He certainly had the opportunity. We too find ourselves in that category. 
Like the psalmist, we may well nigh have slipped. We may have come very close to rejecting God. Like the younger son, some of us may have done. Some of us may have gone into our own far country and tried all of the things of the world. Tried them all. And discovered one day that it left ashes in our mouth. And discovered with a younger son and with a psalmist that there was a way back. There was an answer. We can return. In Jesus Christ, a door is open. A bridge is made. Evil where we are. The good that God would have for us. There we are given a new life. As we are called in Jesus Christ to be his disciples... We are given a new birth, a new hope, a new future, and a new eternity. Will it be easy? No. Those who tell you that being a Christian is easy, there's never been one. It will be difficult. But nowhere near as difficult as living in disobedience, separated from God, in Jesus Christ. Difficult, yes, but possible. We can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. So as we would turn to Jesus Christ, as we would turn to Holy Scripture to find what the plan of God is, to keep us in obedience, to keep us in the way that God would have us to live, we will be shown the way. Perhaps, perhaps by our witness, Perhaps by our example, our refusal to take the fun way, and our adamant discipleship to obey God, might win others that they might not endorse either of two wrong views of life. Let us pray. Lord God, how tempting the world is around us. How evil lies to us, deceives us. How we come to believe that life is made up of fun, that there are no consequences. How easily, Father, we look at the world and think you are not there. How wrong we are. Our Lord God, when we are tempted as the psalmist was to look upon the world and come to that conclusion. Reveal yourself to us through Holy Scripture and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Write your truth upon our hearts. Give us wisdom and understanding that we might draw back from the brink of that slippery slope and commit ourselves once more to Jesus Christ. To find in him our forgiveness. To find in him our strength and our grace and to find the determination and the conviction to serve him to the end of our days, that we, with all the saints before us, might come to glory in your holy kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I was noticing the title of the last hymn. I'm always amazed when I come to preach someplace and somebody else selects the hymn. How often the last hymn sums up what it is that I've been saying in the message. 469, trust and obey. <laughs>